in association with the Agri Health Network, it's time for That Farm Life podcast, Planting Hope, Harvesting Strength. On That Farm Life, we talk about that life that is that of a farmer and their family. It's about the day-to-day grind, the good times, the tough times, and everything in between, because farming is more than a job, it's a way of life. And we're here to offer opportunities to help you deal with the stress and strains of farm life through faith, family, and community with other farmers. Now, here's your host, a farmer, a former agri-business owner, and also the pastor of a Southern Baptist church in Arkansas, Archie Mason. Well, hey, folks, I'm Archie Mason, the host of uh, That Farm Life podcast, and thank you for joining us for another episode. We're so glad you're taking the time to uh, listen this week. Uh, we've got close to 70 episodes under us, and so, again, thank you for participating and being a part of that. Hey, at, here at the AgriHealth Network, the podcast, That Farm Life podcast, is just a resource of that. Uh, it's a great place where we are able to visit with people, share stories of the farm life, the rural life, kind of what's happening, and it's always good to hear each other's stories about what God's doing in their life or what it's like out there in rural uh, America. Now, one thing, too, we always say this, it's okay not to be okay, and we just want to help you not stay that way. And the purpose of our podcast is to have conversations, to talk about things sometimes that we maybe don't normally talk about. And again, it always seems to help someone. Uh, You can check us out at agrihealth.net. We've got some resources there you can find out more about us. Today we have a guest. His name is uh, Eddie Barlow. Eddie grew up in uh, rural Georgia. He joined the Navy uh, when he finished high school. He is a 26-year career uh, veteran of the Navy. And so Eddie entered in the ministry and is currently the pastor of Bolivar Baptist Church in South Haven, Mississippi. Pastor Eddie, thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you. It's an honor to be here. Yes, sir. Hey, and I know I speak on behalf of our audience, and we got a lot of folks that listen to us across the nation and really in other countries. But here in the great old USA, man, thank you for serving our country for all of those years. So we appreciate it very much. Hey, tell us about tell us about yourself and your family. All right. Well, like I said, I am a 26 year veteran of the the U.S. Navy. I come from a, a military background, military family. My dad and uncles all were service members. My dad retired after 30 years. He was a master chief uh, in the Navy. Uh, he did the uh, USS New Jersey. He was on board USS New Jersey. And also, I don't know how many other submarines. He was on a bunch. Uh, so he retired after 30 years. Uh, my brother is also in the Navy. He is a master chief. He's retiring next year after 30 years. So I'm the low man on the totem pole, even though I'm the oldest brother. Um, you know, my family-wise, um, I'm married. My wife was a... A daughter of a naval officer, uh, he came in as an E-1 and moved up the ranks and retired as a lieutenant through the uh, limited duty officer program. I have four kids. Uh, my oldest is a graduate at the University of Memphis. He's an engineer down in, in Senatobia here. My second son, he is a uh, graduate of Memphis also, the University of Memphis. He is in the Navy. He is um, He's an ensign. He's completed Navy Nuclear Power School in Charleston. Now he's in uh, Groton, Connecticut at Submarine uh, School for Officers, and he'll be transferring here next month to the uh, to a submarine up in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, that is in overhaul. So he's looking forward to getting out and doing his job. My third son, uh, he's just graduated from high school. He went straight to the Air Force. Um, so he is in Ramstein Air Force Base in Germany right now, and he is loving it. 
and I have a daughter, and uh, she is going to be a senior this year at uh, DeSoto Central here in South Haven. That's pretty much it, you know, for us. Uh, you know, it's been a great honor to uh, serve the country. Uh, I believe in that, I believe in God and country, and uh, God has given us the freedoms that we have. And with those freedoms, we have to we have to honor them and we have to fight for them. I just thank God for the opportunity. Yeah, well, I tell you what, man, I agree with you 100%. I, hey, a couple of questions kind of spark my curiosity. Okay, number one, uh, a master chief, what, what, is, what does that mean? Well, that's the top enlisted rank for the um, for each particular branch of the services. Uh, that is roughly about one percent of the total man force for that branch. So when you when you hit the one percent, uh, you hit E nine or Master Chief. In our case, uh, you're you're the top of your basically your game. Oh wow. Well, okay. So you mentioned your dad, and he served. Uh, submarine, correct? Did you say yes, your brother too? Did you tell me your yes, brother? Sir. He, my brother okay. is in. He, he, we were, as a matter of fact, we were both on uh, two different submarines at the same time uh, working together. So he actually worked for me. So at least I got that over him. <laughs> okay. So my dad served on an aircraft carrier. So I, I've heard about that in the Navy. But now the submarine, I'm very interested. Tell me what life is like on a submarine serving in the U.S. Navy. Well, you know, when I came in, there was uh, basically two different platforms. You had the fast attacks, which were the smaller ones. They went out and they had called them hunter killers. They would go out and check for uh, enemy vessels and stuff like that. But the boomers and now tridents uh, are the ones that carried the nuclear missiles. That was part of the strategic uh, triad. And so that was the, the, the leg that was underway submerged. Uh, you know, somebody could attack a base, somebody could attack a bomber. But when a submarine is underway alert, a trident, in my case, uh, that is the most survivable leg of our national defense. And so we were underway. We uh, what we would call we just punched holes in the middle of the ocean. We would go out. We had a track that we followed. We'd stay underway for anywhere from 50 days to uh, up upwards of 90 days, and we called it uh, underway, submerged, and undetected. I, I know there's some guys out there probably on a tractor right now. The road crops are bailing hay, and they're going, hey, you're telling me you could you would stay underwater, submerged for 50 to 90 days? Uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Wow. How many people, okay, so like on a Trident sub then, uh, how many folks can be on that submarine at one time? Our usual crew complement was roughly 150. So we had about, we had in our chief's quarters, that's the E78, E9, that's the senior enlisted on, on four submarine. Our chief's quarters roughly handled about 20 chiefs. And if we had excess, it would go back into cruise berthing. Uh, officer complement was about, you know, 15 to 20. Also, you had the CO, the XO, and, and department heads and little downward. And then the regular crew complement was about 115. So we, we carried an average about 150. Uh, guys in my time today, the women are allowed on submarines. Uh, but in my time, it was about 150 guys that were underway. Okay. You may not can tell me this cause it might be like classified or something like that, but how many, uh, so I'm going to ask a question. How, okay. many, how many submarines do you think the U S Navy do we have underway at any one time? Is there a guess or can you, can you oh, guess? Yeah, or can you? Oh, that's not, a, that's not a problem. Uh, you yeah. know, we always have, um, and this is just for uh, just general conversation. We always have a submarine, a Trident, underway on the East Coast and the West Coast. Usually, 
that are alert. An alert meant that they were standing by ready to go. So you always have a submarine East Coast, West Coast on alert. Fast attacks, uh, they're always in and out. You you have them on deployment, so they'll go to Mediterranean, to Western Pacific, and you have those on deployment, but you always did your weekly ops, or you might be up north underneath the ice. My first submarine, I was actually on the USS Sea Devil, and we went underneath the ice and looking for, you know, doing our jobs, the best way to say it. Yeah. So we were yeah. physically underneath the ice, uh, and that was quite the experience, I would say. Uh, <laughs> To be underneath the ice, knowing that you know it's it it would have been hard to surface in some of the places we were. So. Wow, wow, well that's amazing. Okay, <laughs> hey, you may get an email from somebody say, hey, you, we we need to have another conversation. I know for for guys like me, especially some of the even the ladies out there too, it's just so so interesting. Oh, one other question, and I'll, I'll get off this topic. But okay, so you have a son in the Air Force. Do you ever what's what's the conversations between Navy and Air Force people when they get together? Well, let me give you just two quick stories. Uh, when I came, uh, when I transferred to Millington, Tennessee, that's part of uh, what we call Naval Support Activity Mid-South, and that's where we did a lot of administrative stuff. Um, when I when I first got there, uh, they were looking for volunteers to go to Iraq in my particular job code. So I actually volunteered. I just had ankle surgery. I volunteered to go. Uh, I didn't think they would send me. My wife was crying, and I told my wife, I said, look, they're not going to send me. I'm in a cast. I'm in the crutches. They're not going to send me. Uh, so that's when I started my my first degree, uh, my bachelor's in human resource management. Uh, so that was in January, and that conversation came up. In April, our command master chief uh, saw me. He said, hey, chief, how you doing? I said, I'm doing great, uh, master chief. He said, well, how's your rehab going? I said, well, it's going great. He said, well, good. You're our nominee. You're leaving Father's Day uh, to go to Iraq. So uh Make sure you get done. You're going. And uh, I, I loved it. And I say that in sense, uh, that was the first time I ever got to experience a joint action between different branches. Okay. Uh, so we had the Air Force, Army, Marines um, out there. And But I would tell you, the Air Force is a different breed. We always make fun of them. We call them the, the, the Union Force. Um, uh, but they were great. I, I loved them out there. Um you know, one of the things I tell my son, you know, and we've had discussions here. I got some guys here at Boulevard. They're in the Air Force and uh, that were in the Air Force. We always talk about what the stars mean uh, on your collar for like admirals and generals and all that stuff. So we were talking about that. And I tell my son, you know, for us, the Navy and the Army and the Marines, you know, four stars, five stars, three stars means, you know, what uh, what their rank is. And, and for the Air Force guys and I tell my son, I said, hey, man, you know what them stars stand for? Yeah. No, Dad, I don't really know too much. <laughs> he said, well, you know, that's where you guys determine what hotel you stay at. So you <laughs> five-star hotel, four-star hotel. So we have a lot of interaction, but I have a lot of respect for the Air Force. They do a a, a great job, and, and thank God for them, because without air power, we'd be in trouble. Oh, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. Hey, and – uh, a lot of us that uh, I know the church I pastor in and and uh, sometimes I, I made a mistake one time and I said something about, hey, uh, Joe, you served 20 years in the army. He gave me that straight look. He said, Marines. I said, oh, I am sorry. And so anyway, I got a lesson uh, about that. But anyway, hey, those we do. And our folks here at Navy, Air Force, uh, we've got folks from all services and serve well again. OK, hey, let me just jump in here then. So. Okay, you're in the ministry now, all right? Yes, and so how did that how did you choose ministry after your your navy service? How did that happen? 
Well, you know, I've always, um, in my younger days, in my church I used to go to in Georgia, one of the guys there always told me, he's like, one day I'm going to see you in ministry. I, I just see you being in ministry. And of course, being young and crazy and like, no, but, but I appreciate the, uh, I appreciate that outlook, but that, that just not, that's just not me. Uh, but, you know, I will say when I was 21, uh, I don't, when I say say that, I believe I will say prior to that, but that's when I officially, I, you know, when I say walk the aisle, we understand walking the aisle doesn't save you, but that's when you make that first public confession to the pastor, to your church body. Uh, that's when, you know, the next step of the baptism. I, I just from that point on, when I, when I was 21, I, I always felt that God was calling me. But, you know, my career was so important. I, I really just dedicated myself to the military. Uh, but after I married my wife, you know, we've had discussions. And um, really, I think the big turning point is when is when I came back from Iraq, the church I was involved in in Millington, Tennessee. Um, we did a mission trip down to uh, down to Mexico and we went through Texas, obviously. You know, my mother is from Mexico. My dad married her when he was out in California. And I think it just hit me that last day of our mission trip. And I was when I was talking, I stood up and I, I talked and I broke down. I'm not going to lie about it. You know, we don't cry a lot, but I broke down and I just told him, I said, guys, you just don't understand. That could have been me on the other side of that fence that you guys are ministering to. So I think God was really opening the door then. And then it was just some affirmation from family and friends, especially uh, military friends uh, that. I could see God really moving in my life. I, I applied for a warrant officer program two times when I came back from Iraq, to, I think 2008, nine timeframe. The first time I, I got turned down, I understand. The second time when I went and applied, uh, we had a board and we had a, um, a lieutenant commander, uh, two lieutenants and a, and a warrant officer. Who's a, he was W-5. And uh, they were asking me questions. I gave my answers and what really made me mad, but hindsight's always 2020. You see how God's working. He told me this lieutenant said, I, I don't want you in the wardroom with me. And I was mad. I was upset. And he explained his reason. And then what he told me at hindsight, I could see how God moved. He said, you know, you missed your calling as a chaplain. Oh, wow. And I was, <laughs> I was really, up, and again, coming off submarines, you know, you know, there's only 10% of the Navy owned submarines. And to hear that, I was really upset. But now, hindsight, I can see how God was showing me, hey, you know what? You're going somewhere, a different place. So in 2011, I was getting ready to go back. I was still set to go back to a submarine. I wanted to go back. I did my physical. And then uh, when I was talking to the uh, to our doctor, uh, our you know the medical doctor there, he, he was looking at the paperwork. And he looked at me in the face. And he looked back down at the paperwork. And then he set the paperwork down and he said, well, hey, senior chief, um, did you know you had a heart attack? I said, uh, no, sir. Uh, uh, no, I, I haven't. He said, well, the machine says you had a heart attack. I said, sir, I'm lifting weights. I run. I was, <laughs> at the times I was running half marathons, working toward marathons, full marathons. I said, I don't think so. And he said, well, you had a heart attack according to the machine and you're automatically the submarine disqualified. And what that means for a submarine guy, there, there nobody else is going to take you because you've been on submarines. And um, uh, I, it was a, it was a transitional point there, but God opened the door for me to complete uh, um, my second degree, which is a master's in Christian study from Union University there in Jackson. Um, so I was able to stay in the Navy from 2011 to 2014. And from there, I, you know, after discussion with my pastor and family, I just felt God calling me to ministry. So I went to Mid-America. 
And I started in, you know, August of 2014, graduated in 2016. And it's just everything along the way, I can see how God has placed me to where I'm at today. And, and I've said it many times, said it from the pulpit, when you look down the road, that road is winding all over the place. You just don't know what's happening. But if you could turn around and look behind you and see how God has worked, you can see the directions and the pinpoints that he had you walking down to put you where you are today. So I, for me, I think that's really how it happened. I, I don't, being in the military, obviously my mindset's a little bit different. But, uh, you know, when God opens the doors, I, pl- I believe you, you move. You don't sit around. You don't wait. You don't take 400 years to pray for something. When he opens the door, walk through the door. Or because if you don't, he's going to put somebody else in that position. And uh, that's the way I always thought about it. So when the door was open and I had the information and the confirmation from other family and friends, I just walked through it. Oh, yeah. Well, I think now you look back and say, man, it's so evident. God used that. I can imagine as a career military uh, Navy person that when that guy said, you know, I wouldn't want you in that room with me and you miss your calls as chaplain. I can tell that would make me mad. I, that would shock me. And then for the doctors, they, you know, you had a heart attack and you're like, no, I didn't. But, uh, you know, God, God used all of that to get you where uh, you are today. And uh, sure. wow, that's that is amazing. OK, let me ask you this then. So, you know, you come out of military background. And so, you know, there uh, a lot of our veterans have come back from Iraq and other places. And uh, some of my uh, one of my uh, kin folks, great uncles at certain Vietnam. I don't think we knew that that was PTSD at that time. But if someone's out there today and they're man, there's discouragement, there's depression and it can be from the rural. It can be out in the rural community because, you know, with this is a, an ag podcast. It can be military. It can be just life in general. Uh, what would you say to them today? How would you encourage them if they just, you know, they feel like there's no, there's no, uh, no hope. I mean, what would you say to them, Eddie? Well, the first thing is um, that's a hard situation. I, when I went to Iraq, I was in the Fluja Triangle, but I was really on base. Uh, by us being on base, uh, our Navy contingent allowed the, the, the Army and the Marines to go out and do their job. And we took care of the base. And I saw these guys when they came back from uh, from the field. Um, I saw these drivers that would come through with convoys, and I it just saw their face. Uh, I don't think unless you served, it's hard to understand what those guys went through. And uh, and and I saw the the blown up Humvees when they brought them back to our base, and and different things like that. And uh, number one, I, I feel for them, but I thank them for doing the job that you know majority of people would not do. So thank them for taking that step. The second thing I would say is uh, talk to somebody, talk to somebody. It's hard. Search out the person that, you know, will sit down and listen to you. And again, uh, you you have my information. I, I would talk to anybody to let them know that, you know what, there is hope. Uh, you're not stuck out there on a, on a limb by yourself. And being in on submarines, uh, being in, confined to that little space underway, Sometimes, you know, I, I didn't deal with um, actual pulling of a trigger, but being confined, not knowing what's going on. I would go months with not knowing what's going on at home. Uh, just a quick story. One time we pulled up. We This was, was a little illegal at the time, but we, we were close to, to the shoreline. We were I don't know why we pulled up. We were doing something. Uh, we always ran up there with our cell phones, try to call home. <laughs> and uh, I called my wife and it was early in the morning, real early when I called her and I got a hold of her. And she literally 
broke down. It was just crying how things were falling apart. Mm. But just hearing my voice and talking to her and just helping her in that situation helped her till we could get to the end of our deployment. And so for those who are dealing with any kind of issues, any kind of problems, um, I really believe if you could just talk to somebody, especially somebody who's walked in your shoes, who understands what you're going through, somebody who's just willing to listen. I, that's, that's what I would say. And that's one of the things I always talk to the guys on board the submarine. That's what I tell my, my, my kids, listen, just listen to somebody. Or if you're hurting, talk to somebody. And, and that's what I would do. That's the most important thing. Yeah. And Eddie, I think you just, man, you hit it right. As we say, hit the nail on the head. Cause uh, a lot of this podcast, there are folks out there who, you know, uh, who were hurting and they heard the words you just said, and they know that God has probably brought somebody to mind that they know that, Hey, this is someone who's a friend. They'll listen. Uh, I can visit with them. Then also too, there's someone out there hearing this that says, Hey, I got a friend that I can tell things are not going well. And I need to go reach out to him. So, man, thanks for sharing that. Hey, one thing, too, you mentioned this about the confined spaces, you know. So you came a believer. Uh, you know, you said you believe her at 21, kind of got nailed down. Might have been before that, but uh, at, at that time. And then you served in the military. How did your faith, man, how did that just help you through your life uh, as you were serving, you know, in the military? And, and just as you're pastoring a church, how, how does that just help you walk through life? I was not perfect when I was saved at 21. Uh, I was in the military and, and I, I did, I still did some crazy stuff. I'm not gonna sit here and lie. You know, I was young. We were all young. Uh, so to sit here and say, you know what, I, I was saved at this age and I became the perfect Christian. I would be lying to you. Uh, and anybody who says that I believe is not being truthful. Yes, because we're, yes. we're dealing with some crazy stuff, and especially our, our kids today, they're dealing with some stuff that's way beyond anything that we've experienced. So for me, um, my faith is during the hard times. And I'm, again, I was no different when things were good. Thank God for that. But I kept running the way, the way I wanted to when things got bad. That's when I was calling out to God. And I was like, Lord, I need some help here. And I've, I've had a lot of situations where I had to call out to God. Uh, you know, I still drank alcohol. Even after I was saved, it wasn't until after I married my wife and about two years later, that I finally stopped. But, you know, as crazy as this may seem, everybody's got a story. But just one night, me and some friends went out and we were just drinking, having a good time. Uh, we were in my car. I didn't drive, thank God. And as we were coming back, I was sharing an apartment with a friend of mine. He, still, he lives up in Kentucky. And we're still great friends. As we're pulling into the, uh, to the, to the, to the parking lot where the apartment was, I was like, stop the car. I got to get out. And I went to run over there to the grass and I, and I threw up. Um, and the point being, um, the next day I came back and for some reason it, it said, I, go look over here at the grass. And I did. And that grass was dead. Oh, wow. And, and, and for me, I think God was using that to show me, look, this is what's happening when you're doing this. You're killing yourself. Mm. Uh, you need to change your direction. And I think at that point, that was one of the things that God opened my eyes and said, you need to go a different direction. And my life started changing from that point forward. And I'm not saying I was perfect. I still made mistakes. Yeah. But God used those incidents, especially being underway. Uh, you know, we um, look <laughs> being underway. There's a lot of tension. There's a lot of good times and there's a lot of hard times. You're, you're under pressure. You have drills. Uh, you have uh, actual casual situations. You, you're trying to navigate in and out. There's so much stress. And that would be the time I would just go to my rack and just uh, just take time to pray and just thank God. 
And there, you know, and no matter what anybody says, there are a lot of Christian people in the military. Uh, so I had a core group of friends that we we got together, we talked, and we helped each other. So that's kind of how it was for me, and which allowed me down the road to become on a submarine. We don't have the uh, room for a a chaplain. Yeah. We just don't have a billet for a chaplain, but we have a squadron chaplain. But each submarine had a Protestant lay leader and a and a Catholic lay Roman Catholic lay leader, and I was the Protestant lay leader, and I was able to talk to other guys and just walk through things with them. And the captain placed his trust in me to talk about certain things. So, again, that's how I believe how God had, had worked in my life up to that point when I transferred to uh, Millington, Tennessee. Wow. Well, Eddie, hey, I can say this is probably one of the most interesting podcasts that we, we have ever uh, recorded just because of, uh, man, your service. Uh, and I've heard a lot of illustrations of God, you know, speaking through other people and using circumstances. But some of the things you shared, especially about the grass was dead, I have never heard that before, but that is so good. So, man, hey, I just will say thank you for sharing with us today, man. And, and Pastor Eddie, thank you for your service to our country so much. I appreciate that. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yes, sir. Hey, for all you folks out there listening, hey, whether you are on a submarine, that's pretty interesting, or you're in the pulpit, uh, you know, Eddie trusted the Lord that uh, that the Lord Jesus had a had a plan and a purpose for his life. And, uh, you know, just like Pastor Eddie has shared, uh, you too, can, you can trust in God's guidance. You can trust in his timing. Uh, God works through his word. Uh, he works through people. He works through prayer. He works through circumstances, just like what you heard. Uh, in Eddie's life. Hey, and always to reach out to us here. Uh, you can email us at info at agrihealth.net. If you got a question about any of the things that Eddie has talked about, or you'd like for us to pass on some uh, information to Pastor Eddie, we'll be glad to do that too. And, and that way you could contact him uh, individually, but we want to help you. So if you got questions about, man, uh, your relationship with Christ, uh, how, if you are a believer, maybe about being discipled and growing, or if you're looking for a good Bible-believing, Bible-teaching uh, church, Pastor Eddie's right there in South Haven, Mississippi. If you're across the nation somewhere, uh, either Eddie or myself can help you find a good Bible-believing, uh, Bible-teaching church. Hey, we appreciate all you folks that listen to us weekly. And also, we always encourage you to pass it on uh, to your friends. Hey, thanks for joining us, and we'll be back next week. Until then, keep farming and uh, keep the faith. been listening to That Farm Life Podcast, planting hope, harvesting strength with your host, Archie Mason. That Farm Life Podcast is a creation of the Agri-Health Network in conjunction with Grounded Faith Ministries, where we offer opportunities to help you deal with the stress and strains of farm life through faith, family, and community with other farmers. You can learn more about who we are and what we do on our website at agrihealth.net. That's agrihealth, one word, Thanks for listening, and until next week, keep the faith.